Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast where we talk with software developers from around the world about the Elixir language and other modern web technologies. My name is Justice Epen, and I'll be your host today. I'm a developer at SmartLogic, a Baltimore-based consulting company that has been building custom web and mobile software applications since 2005. From the SmartLogic team today, we have myself, Justice Epen, and my co-host, Eric Ostrich. Say hi, Eric. Hello, hello. Our theme this season is working with Elixir, and we've been talking to guests about various aspects of working with Elixir from performance to functional programming. And today, especially, we're going to be jumping into hiring and training, especially training folks up on Elixir, because we've got a couple of amazing guests today. I'm so excited that today we are talking to Bruce and Maggie Tate from Groxio, also the organizers of Gig City Elixir, and starting in 2020, Lone Star Elixir. Welcome to the show, Tate family. Thank you. We're so excited to be here. I don't think we've done this before, have we? We have not had you on this show. It's overdue, for sure. Overdue. Well, long overdue. And we're so glad that you're on today. You know, we've got lots of questions prepared, but we'd love it if you could kind of introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about your background, tell us about Groxio and how y'all got started with Elixir. Yeah, I guess I guess we should start with Groxio first, right? So, and thank you for pronouncing it correctly, right? It's uh, so we love the brand, right? We love that it's one character longer than the URL shortener, right? So, you know, anytime you type Grox.io in, in Twitter, it tries to help and, and hurts by making it longer, right? But uh, yeah, thanks for that. So, we started Groxio last year because I think that Maggie would have killed me if we hadn't, right? So I, I'd been excited about doing something in the Elixir education space. It's where my heart is, the, the, the mentoring, the conferences, the, the writing, all of that's kind of build, been building to this moment. And I'll let Maggie introduce herself. I have always been part of the hospitality of Team Tate. And so kind of that's my role of things here. <laughs> Communications, hospitality, there yeah. you go. So we want to talk, we're, we've got a lot of questions for you on the conferences and on Graxio, but we want to start with some softballs. Can you tell us a little bit about the Graxio logo and how that came about? Yeah, I, I love the the logo. We actually started with a, with a train, you know, it had gears for smoke and it looked really cool, but it didn't mean anything. So if you look at the Graxio logo closely, you'll notice the G-R-O-X is loosely based on Grok, G-R-O-K was really big in computer science for a while. You know, I grok it, I get that. So Grox is kind of, you know, he groks it. And the IO is actually written as a one and a zero, right? So we're about all things learning and understanding computer languages, right? So Grox ones and zeros is what you should read when you read that logo. Let's just dive a little bit more into Graxio. Like, what is it all about? What makes Graxio different from, you know, all the other technical education companies that are out there? A lot of this is seeing what's happening in the publishing space. So in the publishing space, it's no secret that publishing is in trouble, right? It's, I think I make more money flipping burgers than writing books and that's okay for the most part. But what it means is that we're not getting the talent in the, on the writing scene for extended periods of time. And so people don't have a chance to hone their craft on writing and coding at the same time. So that's a big deal for me. So the second thing that's happening is that the tools for content production are just getting way, way better. Phoenix Live View, I, I would say, is part of that. So we can make a site that's that's really live with a very small production team. We can do video editing, which, which Maggie has gotten great at doing. And then we can do the things 
involved in writing a professional book that don't involve the waste involved in writing a professional book. Like, for example, if you go to to Graxio, you'll see a pragmatic bookshelf edited book, and they're the best in the business. But one of the things that you won't see is a, a way to buy a paper book because that book is a beta book and we want that to be to be able to change that quickly and we want to be able to respond quickly and we don't want to waste a lot of money on things like copy edits and indexing so Groxio's whole concept is to have multiple ways of learning the same thing and when you put all those things together with somebody who is skilled at at building educational content, it gets really powerful. You can just open so many learning channels at the same time. So, for example, we have just a starting video that right now we have a program on programming languages. And every on a two-month cadence, we release a new programming languages. And we started with Crystal. And then we moved on to the pony language. And next we'll be doing a, a Joe Armstrong celebration. I hope we can talk about that. Before you go on, could you, because uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening actually have never heard of Crystal or Pony. Could you, I, have, I actually have not heard of Pony in particular. So could you tell us what those languages are? Yeah, yeah. So first, this is what Groxio is all about. It's not about becoming a better programmer by grinding on the stuff that you already know and working exercises, right? It's about encountering something new and shaking yourself out of the rut. And it's, it's a measurable thing that when you start to tap curiosity, dopamine starts firing and uh, it really opens up the learning process. And if you talk to people about when they grew most rapidly as a developer, normally it involves exposure to new languages and new ideas. So we try to do that on an accelerated basis. So the idea that we're taking a version of Ruby in Crystal that's compiled and typed and completely type inferred is not an accident, right? It's, it's a radically different, interesting thing. It changes the flavor of the language. And Pony is a really cool language that's completely reshaped the way that I think about writing my OTP applications just in, in these two or three short months working with it. Basically, if I were to wrap up Pony in, in a couple of sentences, I would say that it's a object-oriented, capabilities secured, safe, high-performance programming language that deals with concurrency very, very well. And it doesn't use the same techniques that Erlang and Elixir do. Erlang and Elixir, they basically have this this great lifecycle mechanism that we call OTP, which if things crash, you can just detect that it's trashed, shut it down, and bring it back up. But with Pony, the whole emphasis is on making things safe so you can't make certain types of mistakes like concurrency mistakes. So there's this awesome feature called reference capabilities that allow you to really make a couple of inferences about how, not just what a variable is, but how it's going to be used, right? So then you could say, okay, this thing is not mutable, so it's safe to share everywhere. Or it is mutable, so we can only share it in these ways, or we can only allow one reference at any given time. Or it's not sendable, right? So if we control those three dimensions, we can we can build safe programs that are screaming fast and don't have same, some of the problems that Erlang and Elixir do. Like, for example, we know that there are a couple of trap doors built into the beam because it's expensive to do a lot of copying of large objects. 
right? So large binaries are are protected on the beam. So Pony doesn't have the problem of copying actors because it doesn't solve the problem in the same way. And I'm not saying everybody go write Pony. What I'm saying is that if you learn Pony, your Elixir will get better. So like, who's your target audience? Is Graxio targeting mainly like professionals? I guess I, I ask because I also know that you help out with a local high school, I think, and, and do kind of all kind of nerves and stuff as well. So a couple of things, I'll put in a little pitch here as well. So the thing that really feed, feeds my soul more than anything else, you know, I went to a conference, I won't say which one, probably about six or seven years ago, there were 400 people there and 400 of them were white males, 400. And it just knocked me over. Um, I, I was sad and it took me a while to come back from that. And from then on, I've been trying to think about how we start to turn that over, both with women and minorities and also other underrepresented pieces of the population. One of my best friends and really the best program I know is a guy named James Gray. He's highly disabled. He's also the best programmer I know because he knows how to automate everything. And that perspective is tremendously valuable for us. So more than anything else, Groxio is about finding a way to um, to give back, and we'll always do that. Um, now, we haven't shaped any financial offerings around that or anything like that. If you want to come along behind us, come get a subscription to Programmer Passport. You might use it, you might not, but it's a great way to support us. So the second thing is that Groxio started targeting new programmers. And we quickly found that we were in over our head and that we didn't know the learning enough, the science about learning models. Um, We really knew more about how to teach elite developers to get better or intermediate developers to be elite. And that's, that's from years and years of mentoring and years and years of hiring for one language, um, people that are in a different language family. Um, so basically, we knew what characteristics to look for. We knew how to to stoke the curiosity fires until they just about exploded. And we knew how to build careers around that. And that's what we're good at. And so um, Groxio is intended for the good developer, the journeyman developer that wants to be great. And the way to do that is we strongly, strongly believe that most American developers, most world developers in their career are spend most of their career in ruts. And the rest of the time is the steep learning curve. But there are absolutely things that you can do to spend more of the time in the steep learning curve, right? And so we talk to developers a lot about taking charge of your own career, but we also talk to management a lot about investing in the careers of your employees in such a way that it's practically free. Because if you're investing in project the way that Google does in Programmer Passport for two hours, four hours a week, where those things are already kind of structured for rapid learning and to nurture the curiosity, which fires the dopamine receptors and builds this virtuous cycle, you're going to build capacity so that that program pays for itself almost immediately. Uh, I'm laughing over here because when you're talking about that sort of intermediate developer trying to become elite, I, I, I feel seen. <laughs> yeah, so many of it. So the way that our careers are shaped is that we get fed more and more responsibility until we hit a place 
where we spend most of our time doing things that we're not as good at, right? And it's, it's just the shape of the jobs that we work with. And it's the nature of the beast that as you build out a product, you're going to be working in the areas where that product has invested most of the technology. And that's probably um, 80, 90% of um, intermediate and large size companies and probably even a growing number of smaller ones that there, there's maybe one or two people in the whole company that gets enough time to play. And so we are basically sl- slowly grinding people into dust. We're chewing them up and spitting them out, and it doesn't need to be that way. So while we're on the topic of Graxio, and, and this is a we've got lots of questions sort of around the conferences that we're going to get to. So, so Maggie, hold tight. But, but this might actually be one for Maggie. I'm curious, like as a husband, wife, partnership in business, I mean, there's probably a lot of people listening that have considered that and maybe not done it because of, you know, sort of the inherent risks there. I'm curious, like what is your, can you, can you talk a little bit about the dynamic there tips that you've learned, like working together and being married? Sure. It's fabulous. And it's really hard all at the same time. So there, there are lots of great things about it, but there are also some pretty significant challenges. And it's regardless of what you're doing, but when you're founding a company, you know, you're all in. And when you're married, you're all in. And it sometimes it feels like you're all in on the company and not the marriage, <laughs> right? One or the other kind of can sacrifice a little bit. So we've had to come to some parameters. Like if we go for a walk, you know, I told him, I said, okay, let's not talk about business at this point. Like this 30 minutes, we're just like married and we're talking about whatever, you know, boundaries, boundaries. Yeah. So it's important to put some boundaries around your time because each thing will do, you know, it'll live to, it'll expand to whatever opportunity you give it. (laughs) Tell them about the boats, the boats, about what you should do to the boats. Oh yeah. This was helpful for me. Part of it though, is because Bruce loves adventure and risk taking and all that fun stuff. And I'm so not that way. And um, I read an article one time about the idea that you really have to be all in and you got to burn the boats. And that's, you know, you have to really, there's no looking back. You're going forward. You guys know the quote where Cortez came over and to motivate his folks, burn the boats. There's no going back, right? So that's also a Viking statement, you know, burn the boats. Uh, it happens here, it doesn't happen, right? They also did this in one of the Greek epic poems. I forget which one. Anyway, that's beside the point. Oh, so if a listener finds out what the true origin of burn the boats is, let us know because we want to know because that's the new foundation of our marriage. <laughs> burn the boats. Just do it. I love it. I love it. And I bet we could probably do an entire podcast just on running a company as a married couple. And if anything else comes to you, please feel free to spit it out. Because I bet that that's actually something a lot of people are curious about. I want to ask you about writing books, Bruce, because you've written 12 books. Is that right? And only 11 of them are on your Wikipedia page. But I think that we we were able to count 12. There's, there's probably more than that. You know, there's a couple of them that are back at IBM. I don't know if you found Objects for OS2 or... Extended services, you know, there's there's basically a couple of books that I wrote while I was at IBM. If you, if you Google Bruce Tate books, a lot comes up. And so, and your Wikipedia is incomplete. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I found it at some point, if you count, if you count releases of books, which is really an, another writing project, you know, I, I got to over 15 and quit counting. But, but writing a book is really a lot like running a marathon, right? So there's a, there's a discipline to it, you know, in, in a micro level, it is just taking the next step, right? You're, you're concentrating on taking the next step. And I say this because it also works at the macro level, right? So 
if you make yourself right every day, then you're going to get a draft out and you're going to have something that you can iterate on. The problem that people have is they want to make the first draft perfect. And when you do that, you get writer's block because nobody can write the um, the perfect first draft or, well, very few people can. Right? What is the Elixir book that needs to be written that hasn't yet been written? So there's a couple that we're working on. We would like to have a nurse book. Um, you know, we're, we're, we've got something um, going on that. We would like to have a testing book. We've got something going on that. We would like a distributed systems book. And Adopting Elixir did some of that, but I'm a little bit concerned that once you finish that book, it becomes obsolete. We would like to have more books on design. Here's a scary concept. I think that what we should probably do is continue to invest in, promote the books that we already have, because there are some great books on Elixir. I remember at this point in Erlang's life, there were maybe two books, maybe one. And gosh, what do we have? Like 20 of them. And I've been involved in, in over half as, as an editor and, and you know, a, a chunk as a writer. L- let me ask you this. In what order should I read your books? What's interesting to you? Well, if, as an Elixir developer, as someone who, let's say, you know, I'm coming from a Rails background and I want to get into Elixir. And let's say I'm just exclusively sticking to Bruce Tate books at this point. Where would you start and what would be the sort of rank order? So I'm going to answer this. I'm going to break your rules a couple of times, but I'm going to answer this in a couple of different ways. So I think that if you're new to programming, you start with in the the early phases of your programming career, you start with Dave Thomas's book, The Pragmatic Programmer. It's brilliant. If you're going to be in the Phoenix ecosystem, you need a book that hasn't been written yet. I hope that I'm going to be writing that soon. Um, And that kind of talks about live view. The live view stuff is important, not just because it takes JavaScript out of the picture, but because it puts your head in one place. And when you do that, teams get smaller and um, designs get smaller and you can accomplish things with a much smaller team. And when you code in the style that live view promotes, everything gets so, so much smaller and tighter that it's a virtuous cycle. I'd like to do something. Um, we'll see. I'd like to do something on Groxio. I haven't negotiated it yet. Probably not a, a great time to, to be announcing it, but you guys can talk about it. That'll kick me into action, right? Uh, I, I was going to say Full Stack Phoenix is, is the name that popped into my head. Yeah. Yeah. So Full Stack Phoenix. So we have the Phoenix book. So the Phoenix book is really important for understanding um, what a channel is under the covers, understanding what a connection is and how that basically stacks up together. And both Jose and, and Chris are far more brilliant than I'll ever, ever be. And I give the book a voice and, and kind of a narrative I'm pretty good at. So that, that was just a dream team in, in terms of, of writing. If you're a relatively senior developer or an intermediate, probably the one that I'd start with is designing Elixir systems with OTP. So that went live a couple of days ago. And I think that that's probably going to be the one with the longest shelf life because it talks about it talks about breaking some of the patterns that that we're establishing. Like right now, most people start an application design with the database and build up from there. And I think that normally that's a mistake. Normally, you can build something, you can shape something with OTP when things are more malleable, when you haven't got any migrations yet, when you can just uh, throw some dictionaries at it and pull data from there just to make sure that your user interfaces work. 
you can put those in front of live view and then um, and then you can kind of as things evolve and as, as they get finalized and put in front of users then you can start to worry about the the database and then start thinking about the validations and things like that but the designing elixir systems was so important and so hard to write frankly because we had to basically take a lot of disparate design ideas and shape them into what we think is a layering system that many people can use for many, if not most, Elixir systems, right? So we say do fun things with big, loud worker bees, right? Which is data functions, tests, boundaries, life cycles, and workers. And when you put those concepts together, you don't need all the layers all the time, but if you think of layers in those ways, and you take the time to separate them and think about them, and you take the time to think about the data structures that are most appropriate, the pure functional layer that's separated from the boundary layer, and then you think about things in terms of life cycle instead of supervision, magical things just start to happen. That is one of the most interesting points I've heard on the show in a long time. I'm really glad we got into that. Eric, do you have any more questions in this section before we move on? I think the last one we'll end on is, do you have an, anything that is non-Graxio or I guess not you as a resource that, that you that you like out in the community? Yeah, I can't believe that I didn't get here to start with this, but the best Elixir book isn't Jose's, it isn't Chris's, it isn't mine. It's Sasha's uh, Elixir in Action. Brilliant book, brilliant book. I mean, you could ask James Gray, you could ask you know person after person. It's the best Elixir book that's that's ever been written. I wish I'd written it. Um, maybe designing Elixir systems um, might be close. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. And Sasha is brilliant. So another thing that I've been doing late, lately is I've been spending some time helping out at, at other conferences. I think that, that Andrea, as a core team member, is just a young, brilliant mind and a brilliant teacher. I got to sit in on one of his classes. Um, if you get a chance to, definitely do it. And, you know, conferences are difficult to run. You guys have been involved in organizing and you know that um, that people want want cheap and free. So investing in things like conference trainings and things like that helps a lot. And especially those Elixir core team members, it's great to be able to help them travel a little bit and help them kind of realize they'll, they'll never kind of break even on the investment that they're getting in for the rest of this. But every little bit that we can do to help is going to help a lot. Well, Andrea now has come up on the show twice this week alone, so we should probably have him on the show. We want to move into some conference questions. You run both Gig City Elixir and now Lone Star Elixir. Can you just tell us like what it's like to run a conference? Sure. It's a lot of fun. I love getting to interact with all the attendees, all the speakers, coordinating all the, the things that come along with it. Um, I've always enjoyed it. It's kind of the the hospitality on steroids. <laughs> and what's like the hardest part? Uh, the hardest part's probably worrying for me about the financials, right? Are we going to sell enough tickets? Are we going to get enough sponsorships? Are we going to cover the cost? You know, that part feels the most stressful. And we track it pretty close. Um, Bruce is a spreadsheet wizard. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think one of the things that's cool about running a conference is that there are things that you can do that are outside of the norm when you're doing things at a small scale. One of the things that Maggie has always said, and she's very good at, is that if you take care of the speakers and you take care of the people that are going to love your attendees, your volunteers, great things happen. They're going to love your your attendees better better than you ever can. Uh, I can second that. I was going to say at Lone Star last year, like Maggie, you, you were just a shining light, like very, <laughs> very like pleasant to be around and, and uh, joyful. And it was just, uh, 
I can see why you get the hospitality wizard. Thank you. Well, this is a great segue because our next question was sort of on the style of conference that you're trying to build here. You know, can you talk a little bit about what you aspire to? Sure. We value connections and making sure people feel known and welcomed. So we try to build in a lot of opportunity for that in the schedule. So there's a lot of space for community networking, a lot of downtime, the hallway track, right? So it's it's essential that people come away from these things having made some new friends, made some new connections, had some ideas about career opportunities that maybe they haven't had before and just um, broadening their community. And what do you find different about Lone Star Elixir? How is that going to change this year? So this year we're moving downtown. We'll be at the Alamo Drafthouse Theater, which will be a lot of fun. Really excited about some of the things uh, that we're going to do there. We always try to highlight aspects of the, the location where we are. So like when we have it in Chattanooga, we do a lot of the local food people, you know, special hotels, you know, just facilitate a lot of that. And so this year at Lone Star, we're giving we're giving it some Austin flavor. So it'll be it'll be really fun. Yeah. So I, one of the things I liked about the Gig City Elixir is that we were able to give away a lot of tickets. And that only happens if if people value what you do and they come along. So, I, so who are some of the sponsors this year? For Lone Star? Yeah. Oh, don't ask me that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Bleacher Report is back. Active prospect. Local company, yeah. Uh, oh, Dockyard uh, just just uh, joined up, so that was pretty exciting. Amos, that yesterday. Amos um, King. Binary Noggin. Amos King uh, is a platinum sponsor, and I know we have three platinums, and then Smart Logic, of course, was our first one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the things that really matters is is that if you say that we're going to do some aggressive things, like we're going to take good care of our speakers. We're going to um, put them in in hotels that are not the top end, uh, wasteful, but but they're going to make our, our speakers comfortable. If you do things like like giveaway tickets, which you have to do to value diversity. If you do things like if the, the panel is too male or too white, if you have an opportunity to pay for some travel and to invest in some speakers, you can do all those things. And the other thing that we do is we try to invest in our volunteers. And when those things happen, then the conference, I won't say it takes care of itself, you know, but uh, that would be a really dangerous thing to say right now, <laughs> but everything becomes a lot, a lot smoother and everybody becomes a lot happier. So that's sort of, I guess, talking about the make, making sure the the speaker list for, I think, at least specifically Gig City, I don't believe you do the typical CFP for that. So can, can you describe how that works? Yeah, so we did a CFP for Austin, and that's actually half invitation and, and half CFP. So I strongly believe in the idea of finding good speakers and letting them talk about whatever they wanted to talk about. And that's worked out really well for us. We have found that we get some strange synergies when that happens. Like um, a couple of good examples are at Gig City or Elixir, last year we had this theme of foundations, right? And so we said, hey, you can talk about Elixir or you can talk about functional programming, but there's this foundations theme. We want people to have a, a strong foundation to build on. But one of the things that's happened is we've come up with these, each year is its own thing. And when the talks roll in, we can do things like we had just a an incredible affinity with the space program this year. Question about Lone Star. How did you pick the MC? <laughs> How did we pick the MC? <laughs> I'm very excited to have you come out and speak with us. You know, everything except the cheese pines. What's up with that? 
you know, we can get rid of the cheese ponds for a Lone Star because I don't think that it's as big of a deal in the in Texas as it was in Colorado. They really like their cheese ponds in Colorado. It has to be cowboys or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. So we actually have bad code puns every Monday. You can join us. And I'm really jealous that you haven't stepped into the bad code puns flow. And and basically, we pick a theme, uh, Maggie picks it, and then we we basically run with them. And you know, right now that means there's like uh, two to four people and just kind of embarrassing ourselves. Uh, sell us on, sell us on Lone Star. Uh, I went last year; it was a great time. The improvements that you mentioned, as far as like location, are super exciting. Uh, it was a great conference already last year, and the location change sounds incredible. Austin is a tremendous city. What what else can we look forward to? Like, sell us and the audience on. I mean, obviously I'll be there, but you know, sell the audience on attending. Let's hear it. Okay, so let's let's take that in two steps, and then I'll let uh, Maggie chip chip in in a second. The first one is to attendees who have been before. So don't expect the same thing. It's its own thing now. We're moving downtown. Um, we're, we're doing more cohesive events. So we're definitely focused. Uh, one of the things that we did is we didn't just get the movie house venue. We got the bar next door so that we'd be able to invest in the har- in the hallway track. That's so huge uh, for people to develop a sense of connection and a place to be actually be in the same place, not be in a strip mall, which was great for establishing a low cost. But since we've had great luck with sponsors coming in alongside and we need more, so that connection is going to be great. The second thing that we did is, you know, Jose is not doing as much traveling these days. He's got a small kid and gosh, uh, both in him, him and and Chris are are investing more in families and and their communities and and their job, and I applaud them for that. But what that means is that we've got to get interesting content in other ways. So one of the things that we've done is we've opened up the keynotes to um, to people beyond the the usual three or four that we see at at Lone Star, at ElixirConf EU, and ElixirConf. So there's a there's a great guy, a great speaker named Randall Thomas, uh, a brilliant speaker from the Ruby community. He's going to be joining us. There's a one of my good friends and Elixir Outlaws, Anna Naseberg, is going to be speaking. She's one of the best rising speakers that I know. She's just so tremendously knowledgeable. She did a talk at Gig City Elixir on on the differences in Go and Elixir and the programming models underneath. And she was able to distill that with a couple of like really quick sound bites, which is amazingly difficult to do. I'm going to be giving a talk and it will probably be, there will probably be something about joy in your career. And there's definitely going to be something about um, my relationship with Joe Armstrong. And and I want to tell some stories around that and talk about how he's influenced uh, what we're doing still today. And also, I'm, I'm very excited to have Dave Thomas coming back to Lone Star Elixir. Gosh, for those those who haven't seen us speak, well, I guess everybody has by now, but none of us would be coding Elixir without him. And hopefully, one of the things that he's been doing is he's got a course at SMU where he teaches some of the old programming languages. Like um, he talks about teaching Snowball, APL, and you know, now, gosh, I, I saw a couple of posts on F Sharp, so I wonder if some of that's not coming too. But um, but I would love to see some of his thoughts on that. But yeah, so we're really excited about this this new group of keynotes, and one of the things that that's going to be that that's going to help is um, for new Elixir developers. Both Anna and Randall are fantastic speakers for that group. They really understand teaching models. Anna's one of the the best best Elixir mentors and and gosh in all the world. 
So we're, we're very excited about that. But the other thing that we're doing is we've got 20 minute talks this year. So we saw that done in London for Code Elixir London. And we came back from that event just blown away. Um, some of the talks that we'd seen, like OSA, OSA gave a talk last year as a keynote that was a 40 minute talk. And it's one of the most brilliant talks I'd ever seen. And that was at Lone Star Elixir. He came back and gave the same talk in a 20 minute version. And I didn't think the talk would fit. And it was so much better. It just forces people to edit and distill four or five main points down to one or two main points. And it opens learning channels that just don't get open any other way. Osa's the keynote from last year actually came up in our like post-game wrap-up discussion with Chris Keithley, who was going to be on the podcast here very shortly. That's like a very memorable keynote that really just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, yeah. And so Maggie, what do you think? Um, how would you pitch Lone Star? Uh, I think it's going to be exciting to be downtown. We're going to be eating some different food. It's going to be really fun. There's going to be opportunity to go across to the the bar as part of the Alamo Draft House and, and do that hallway track and networking. And the highball is that it? The highball, yeah, yeah, yep, the highball. And it's in a really cool section. There's some other restaurants that are nearby. So after the conference is over, there'll be lots of opportunities to go check out Austin. Really good about it. We do have 23 speakers. So I'm a a little worried about fitting them all in. I think I've got slots for everybody, but one. (laughs) So we have to like adjust the time because it's in a theater. We have a set amount of hours that we have that space, right? We have to be in at a certain time. We have to be out at a certain time. So So if you've got some mafia ties and you can scare somebody (laughs) off, we don't want to hear how, but you know. We're going to fit them all in. Yeah. We're going to fit them all in. I mean, Justin Schneck is going to be there, right? (laughs) Isn't Justin like a mob boss? (laughs) (laughs) Just uh, is that a rumor? Did I just get a rumor started? <laughs> Sorry, Justin. We'll kick off the second day with the Elixir Outlaws podcast, which I understand y'all are going to be on, which will be super exciting. We're So we're very excited for that special episode. I don't I mean, are we like letting the cat out of the bag for everything? Uh, you know, Sorry. no worries. You know, I wasn't even sure if you, if, you know, how, how incognito it was. But yeah, there will be a special episode of Elixir Outlaws. Uh, that'll be my first time on Elixir Outlaws. Really looking forward to it. And uh, we've also started talking about maybe doing some fun things for Elixir Wizards as well. Uh, since they'll be doing the first half of the day, maybe we'll do the second half. Eric, I think you. we've got one more question and then we want to give you guys some time for any final plugs, asks for the audience, that kind of thing. And then we'll wrap up here, Eric. Yeah, so I guess I, I just want to, I guess, talk about, I've heard there's some controversy about Lone Star with this new with this new logo. Do you want to comment about that? There's no controversy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should just explain what it is. It's it's a bat and it incorporates the Elixir, what's it called? The Elixir droplet or whatever? Yes. Yeah. So anyway, you have to know when you look at it, it's an upside down bat. So that makes and it And it is clear. freaking cool. <laughs> And anybody who says it's not freaking cool is doing it wrong. They're looking at it wrong. Maybe we should explain why it's a bat. What's special about the bat? Yeah, you tell them. Okay, so Austin has either the largest or one of the largest colonies of Mexican free-tail bats. And so the bats are kind of a Austin thing. And so when we were talking about how to develop something a little different, like we got to either somehow include the bat or the Congress Avenue bridge, which is where all the bats live. So that's what Colby came up with for us was the bat. And Eric, I'll have you know that Austin has a long history of introducing the bat in inappropriate ways, right? Like the hockey team was the Austin ice bat. This is way better than an ice bat. (laughs) Bat's awesome. Let's talk about 
any final plugs, any asks for the audience, where people can find you, social media, how to get involved with your uh, myriad projects. So Maggie's about to rattle off all of our Twitter, the Twitter identities. Yeah. So I'm behind most of the Twitter handles. So it's Groxio Learning, Lone Star Elixir, Gig City Elixir. And Red Rapids from back in the day when I had a company called Rapid Red. So basically those are our Twitter handles. That's the best way to reach us. I really want to give a plug for this Joe Armstrong celebration. It's basically things that were inspired by Joe and things that Joe inspired. So on January 15th, we're going to be kicking off Prologue. And May 15th, we're going to be kicking off OTP. And March 15th, we're going to be kicking off Elixir. So and for Elixir, since since a lot of our customers are Elixir customers anyway, we're going to try to have some um, some really advanced exercises to solve and some um, you know we want to cover we want to get behind um, some of the basics. We want to get beyond some of the basics into macros and things like that. So the other thing that that I'd like to plug is the idea that in each of these lessons we're going to be uh, giving a couple of days of the first release. So each each lesson comes in four releases, and we're going to be giving a, a couple of days for the from the first release of each of these languages for free to give people a chance to participate and to try it out and come join us if they want. So that's at grox.io. And we'll have information about the Joe Armstrong celebration coming up around December 20th. Can we give you the website for Lone Star? Absolutely. Okay, it's lonestarelixir.com. Lonestarelixir.com. Yep. And if you want to sponsor, if you want to buy a ticket, no, come come on. Yep. Everybody listening, sponsor Lone Star Elixir. It's a great time. Bruce and Maggie Tate, thank you so much for joining us here on Elixir Wizards. You can find Bruce and Maggie at grox.io. That's G-R-O-X dot I-O. Also, please join us at Lone Star Elixir next year and Gig City Elixir. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. This has been Elixir Wizards. I'm Justice Epen, joined by my co-host, Eric Ostrich, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.